Glad to see you in church this morning. We've been spending the last 31 Sundays, you can count them, 31 Sundays moving through the story of the Bible. You go, well, how so? Well, we started way back 31 Sundays ago reading and sharing chapters of a chronological Bible called The Story. Many of you uh, purchased a copy of that. We had them all the way through the church. I think hundreds of you purchased those uh, volumes, and they're still available. If this is something that uh, you would want to do, if you are intrigued by this and didn't catch up with us on that, then I would encourage you to pick one up and begin begin reading it. It's the Bible compressed into 31 chapters. It's God's Word. It's not every word of the Bible, but it does give one a complete picture of what the story of Scripture is all about. We started way back there with creation in chapter 1, and now we have made it all the way to the very last chapter in that story of Scripture. And it's wrapped up in logically the very last book of the Bible, the New Testament, the book of Revelation. I think of it not as the end, but I think of it as the end that is really another beginning. That's what the book of Revelation is to me. So let's make sure that we get things straight. It's the book of Revelation. There is no S on it. Don't make it a plural. It is not revelations. If you heard it pronounced like that, then you heard wrong and you need to get it right because there is only one revealing in that last book. There is only one revelation and that revelation is Jesus the Christ. Always keep that in mind. It is indeed the last book of the Bible. It is the end in a sense, but as I said, it's also a new beginning. When I think of this book, when you try to put it together and, and say, what is it all about? What does it really mean? thought that comes to my mind is a television show that perhaps some of us, many of us are at least familiar with. It's called Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Have you ever seen it? Ever heard of it? Okay, it's where they take a, a, a family, someone in need, and they come in and they... Uh, they ask them permission to remove them from their house and they take them and move them off somewhere else where they can't see what's going on. And these people come in and they redo their home. They make it to where it can meet the needs of that particular family. And it's an amazing television series because week after week, this crew goes and how they pick the people, how they pick the families, I'm not sure, but they pick Worthy families, needy families. This is all real. It's not contrived. It's not made up. And over the course of several weeks or months, however long it takes, they redo their home and then they bring them back and show them. And there is a phrase that this TV show is known for. It's three words. Do you know what it is? Move that bus. Take a look. people there and all cheering you knew that everyone had a connection to your story i can't even put it into words it's an ultimate high 
to see all these people who come out to do something for us, to, to recognize our concerns. Beyond that, it's, I think, bringing a community together and, and ultimately changing the world. So you guys ready to see what's behind this bus? Yeah, let's get ready. Say it. Move that. became more of a burden. Haley couldn't go up and down the stairs unless we brought her up and down. It was a place that's not made for her. Our new home represents the future of where we're headed and it's limitless. And to see the excitement, the excitement on her face, is priceless. Move that bus. That's what the book of Revelation does for us. In the same way that a family is wondering what comes next. In the same way that a family, a family in need has been given a great blessing, but they haven't seen it yet. They don't understand it yet. They don't see it in its totality. That's the perfect illustration. If when you're thinking of what this final chapter, this final book of God's Word is really all about, it's about moving the bus. It's about moving what's in the way, and it's revealing to us our future. In the case of a television show like this, it's a brand new home and what that means for a family. For us as believers in Christ, it is what? It's a look at the finished product of what God has in store for us. So here's my purpose this morning. We can't cover every word of the book of Revelation. We don't have time. There are so many varied interpretations of certain passages that we could sit down and discuss and argue about and determine, I think this or you think that. It wouldn't do us any good today. So what I want us to do is to realize that as we look at the big picture, as the bus is moved out of the way, as whatever it is that has been blocking your view of what God has in store for each one of us because of everything that happened since the beginning, since the creation of man, all the way up to where we are today. I want to take some selected passages that I feel are very representative of this big picture of what we can expect and of course, know that there are different ways of viewing some of these passages. People have been looking and viewing and discussing, Bible-believing, committed people. But I want to ask you just to put aside everything you've heard about the book in the past. Put aside all of the, of the, the convictions that you have about this means this and that means that. And just let God take away whatever's blocking your view of the wonder of what comes next. Basically, this moving the bus, this moving the obstacle out of the way tells us that we're going to see Jesus. In the very first chapter, the seventh verse, the Bible says, Behold, He, and that means Jesus, is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over Him. So it is to be. Amen. That's the opening of this final book. 
That is the removing of the obstacle of whatever it is that's been blinding us. This is our first opportunity to see that what lies ahead for us, what we're really looking for, what the future holds is going to be wrapped up in the person of Jesus. Don't ever forget that. That Jesus is going to appear. That he is going to return. And this book of Revelation is singular. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is nothing more, nothing less than that. That's all we need. We need to keep in mind that the book of Revelation is also very highly symbolic. And that is an understatement to say that it has symbols in it. Here's what I want you to remember. There is one other book of Scripture, of the 66 books in our Bible, that closely approximates what the book of Revelation is really all about, and that's the Old Testament book of Daniel. And it's only portions of Daniel that would be considered the same type of literature. It's called apocalyptic writing. Maybe you've heard the word apocalypse, which for most of us means the end. But there is a branch, a type of literature that is called apocalyptic writing. It's highly symbolic. For instance, you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the Scripture. You have that mentioned in the book of Revelation. God is Father. God is Son. God is Holy Spirit. But in the writing of this story of John pulling back the curtain, moving the bus, if you will, There is an alternative trinity, an evil trinity, personified as a a dragon and a sea beast and an earth beast. You just got to go over and turn to like Revelation 13, and they'll begin describing these ugly, menacing animals and beasts. And you sit here and you go, what's going on? What does this have to do with me? Remember, we pull back and we're looking at a at a portion of God's Word, a highly symbolic type of literature that was very familiar to the people of the first century. They had seen this type of writing before. They understood what many of these symbols meant. And this is where most of us get off track. We take these symbols and we turn them into something that speaks to our modern day. And we need to go back to the first century and realize that these symbols meant something to the people who first read them. These symbols meant something to those people who were under great stress and persecution. And right here, we have a perfect opportunity to say that there is a Father, a Son, and a Holy Spirit. But there is also a counterpart of evil in this world. There is a dragon, Satan himself. There is a sea beast. We would call him the Antichrist. There is an earth beast. There is another manifestation of evil. The book of Revelation is filled with symbolic numbers all the way through. The number seven. The number seven in the Bible is highly symbolic, not just in this book, but the seven days of creation, the very way God formed time. Seven has always been a number that represented perfection. It represented completeness. Well, John, when he wrote his gospel, if you notice, he outlines his entire telling of the story of Scripture around seven. Seven signs that Jesus performed. 
the number seven in the series of seven bowls and seven trumpets and seven angels, seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. This number always represented that which represented completeness and perfection. So the number six, the number six understood in the first century world was one-off. It was a knockoff of the perfect number. Therefore, it was a perversion of that which is perfect. And so you have this mark of the beast that is mentioned. You have this number, 666. Could you see from first century eyes the simplicity of this number? That as you had a perfect Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now you have a dragon, a sea beast, and an earth beast. Whereas seven is a number of perfection. Now you have this perversion, one off of that which is perfect, six. And the number of six, 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 paralleling that evil trinity. That's just one part of it, my friends. Of where this book, when speaking to the people to whom it was originally written, they read these verses and they understood immediately where John was going in this amazing unfolding of history, time, and eternity. You focus on that sea beast. In Revelation chapter 13, 3, John describes seeing this manifestation. He said, I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. The whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. What's happening? What's John describing? He is describing a manifestation of evil. In the book of Revelation, it's pictured as a sea beast. In other portions of Scripture, it's, he's called the man of lawlessness or the Antichrist. I believe Scripture teaches that there will be an ultimate manifestation of evil that will surface. And people will look to this image, to this person, and he will divide people. I think it's happening right now. I think it's happened over all the generations of history, especially since Jesus has ascended into heaven and we await his return. What do we have? John describes him as a beast who had a fatal wound that was healed. Is that possible? I mean, a fatal wound is fatal. But a fatal wound that was healed. See, think back along the lines of what these people understood and what they were reading in the first century. What is John trying to tell us? In highly symbolic language. He's trying to tell us that many, many millions of people are buying into the greatest lie on the face of the earth. And what is that lie? That lie is that evil will reign in the end. That lie is that evil has not been put down. You see, I believe Scripture teaches that Jesus came to this earth lived a perfect, sinless life, and he came here for one reason, and that was to walk a path that would lead him to a cross. And that cross is our victory. That cross is where it all happened. That cross is 
what Satan didn't want Jesus to do. You remember those temptations back in the wilderness when Satan said, Jesus, if you will come along with me, I will give you the kingdom that belongs to me, even though it was only temporary. What was Satan asking Jesus to do? Don't go to the cross. Because when you go to the cross, I'm finished. That's the fatal wound that was delivered to the head of evil. The death of Jesus. His blood spilled for us. But what does John say? John says, I saw a beast whose fatal wound appeared to be healed. A fatal wound is fatal. But a fatal wound that appears to be healed is a lie that this world is buying day in and day out where Satan and the power of evil is laughing at the church, is laughing at the cross and saying that is such a way of failure when in reality it is the only way of salvation. But what are people doing? They're looking at the life of Jesus and they're discounting it. They're believing that the cross has no power. And people will continue to believe that lie until Jesus returns. You see, it doesn't doesn't take too much to take this last book of Scripture that is so highly symbolic and yet cut right to the chase. That John is describing to us a cosmic battle between good and evil that is going on right now as we speak. And there are powers, there are dark forces in this world. And he describes them as being an evil trinity. He describes them as having a number that's the knockoff of perfection, 666. And he's describing their savior, their sea beast, as one whose fatal wound was healed. No such thing. One whose fatal wound has been hidden. And in the meantime, a lie is being spread across this world and people are going to hell. People are dying in lostness because they buy in to the lie of the beast. There is a final battle. Revelation 19 describes it. Some have called it the great battle of Armageddon. And this is where... This is where really you've got to pull back and think. People think that there is some great battle that is yet to happen. People who think that a certain part of the world or somewhere on the globe, there is going to be this traumatic showdown between God and the powers of evil as though there's got to be some final contest to see who comes out the victor. Look how John describes it. Revelation 19, 11. I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire. On his head are many diadems. He has a name written on him, which no one knows except himself. He's called, clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Stop right there. Who's he describing? Jesus. He's taking symbols from the Old Testament, eyes of flaming fire. He's taking all of these symbols that describe God in the Old Testament, and he is bringing them to bear upon Jesus. The great warrior on a white horse who has a robe that's been dipped in blood. It's a reference to the cross. He's called the Word of God. In the beginning 
was the Word. Can't you not see how John is just taking all of these symbols and bringing them together? He's moving the bus out of the way for us. The armies which are in heaven, verse 14, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so with it he may strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. All right, there's Jesus. There's our Savior. There's the whole point of this story right there in front of us. And then the battle. Look in verse 19. I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. The beast was seized and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. What's the battle? As I read it, the battle is the Son of God and the armies of heaven line up The powers of evil line up, and that's it. There is no struggle. Why? Because the struggle happened on a Friday morning at 9 o'clock until 3 o'clock in the afternoon when Jesus was nailed to a cross. And that was when the battle was fought. That's when the victory was secured. This is all just lining up and finishing off and calling calling it what it is, it's a total surrender of evil to the power of Jesus. Can't you see it? I mean, they line up and it says, the beasts and the kings of the earth, what? We're seized. That's it. Because we look back to the point of the whole story. The cross of Jesus. This book ends with a word that... It's almost an English word, Maranatha. Maybe you've heard it before. Maranatha is a, a strange word because it can be accented on one syllable and mean one thing and accented on another and pronounced another way and means something else. It either means a prayer or an announcement. It's either Maranatha, a prayer. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, I pray. Or, if it's accented on another syllable, maybe not Maranatha, but Maranatha, it becomes an announcement. The Lord comes. I like them both. I think they both speak truth. That's why the story of Scripture, Revelation 22.20, right at the very end, summing up everything, especially in this very confusing last book of the Bible that is so highly symbolic that can take you down this path or that path. Look at the bus as it moves out of the way. And what do we see? We see a Lord and Savior. We see victory in Jesus. And while we're here upon this earth, we have the opportunity to pray a prayer, Lord Jesus, come. And we have an opportunity to make a pronouncement, the Lord comes. That's a great story, isn't it? But you see, you've got to come back and you've got to answer this question. How has the story 
affected your life. When I think of everything we've done over these past weeks, for me, it's all like this. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that He is living. Whatever men may say, I see His hand of mercy. I hear His voice of cheer. And just the time I need Him, He's always near. He lives, He lives, Christ Jesus lives today he walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way he lives he lives salvation to impart you ask me how I know he He lives within my heart. And the hammer fell on those wooden nails. Threw his flesh into the tree And they laughed at him As he cried for them And there he hung The faultless one But didn't he live Now didn't he And didn't he give Now didn't he But didn't he die For you and me Spilt his precious blood, sacrifice of love. We didn't take his life from him, he gave it willingly. Complete the prophecy. What's black is white. What's wrong is right But didn't he live Now didn't he Didn't he give 
Now didn't he But didn't he die He lives He lives Salvation to impart You ask me how I know He lives He lives within my heart Father, we thank you for a story that ends with Jesus. May we honor him in all we say and all we do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We close our service this morning with a time of invitation, an opportunity for people like you and me to make a choice. It could well be that there are those in this room who have never said yes to the truth. In reality, if you don't say yes to Jesus, what are you doing? You're believing the lie of a beast, a beast whose fatal wound appears to be healed, but he's dead. So turn to the truth. That's what this story is all about. And cross that line of faith and say yes to the claim of Jesus upon your life. It's a prayer that you pray. It's a choice that you make. And we'll have ministers and deacons standing here to give you guidance. Perhaps you're here today and you've never told the world you belong to him. You've never followed him in believer's baptism to proclaim to a lost and dying world that you are indeed changed. We invite you to make that choice today. Come tell us. Maybe you need a church to to belong to, a place to call home a place like this, like our church. If God is leading you and your family, perhaps, if you're a single adult, you're welcome. If God is leading you to join with our church, how do you do that? You come forward and tell us that that's your choice. And it may be it's simply the fact that during this season of the year, as a believer, as a church member, you, you seem to lose traction. You seem to, to miss the point. Well, maybe it's because you're missing the point of, The bus has been moved. Can't you see what lies ahead? Can't you see the blessing? Can't you see Jesus? How would that affect the way you live? Maybe you just need prayer today. Sandy and Ray and Lon believe in prayer. These are three folks in our church who will be here just simply for the purpose of giving you a prayer. Make your choice and make it now. We stand together, we sing. Won't you respond right now?